welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. I'm Jewish. Would I be allowed to come to your church? What do you think of those Christians who protest at abortion clinics? Would I be able to wear this to church? Does your church teach the Bible? What kind of a church are you? Do you accept people like this at your church? These are all questions that I have been asked for many years. Some of them long before I even became a pastor at the church and people knew I went to church. People I worked with, people who were, uh, I met in the doctor's office or whatever. Questions that still people ask today when they find out I'm a pastor, when I might invite them to church. Or perhaps people who arrive at our church for the first time. Now you might think that some of these questions are around beliefs. What do you believe or what does your church believe? But can I suggest to you that they might all be around the idea of the boundary line. The boundary line. As in, hey, what, what standard or what list or what demarcation point for your church or your faith or your Christianity would make me feel like I'm in? Like, who's in? What are the behaviors? What are the standards to be in, to be a part of the community? And when we're talking about sort of in, we're talking about like being included, being invited, being accepted, um, not being rejected, not being marginalized, not being shamed, not being an outsider. In some respects, these questions aren't just about church or faith communities. We look for boundary lines everywhere. We want to know the boundaries. We want to know because they give us a sense of identity. Do I belong? Like, who am I? And where do I fit? And am I on the right side of things? Am I included? Am I accepted? Am I safe? These are all questions around boundary lines that we ask in any community we're a part of, the school or a family or a, a extended family, a family we're marrying into, a group of friends, a church, whatever. Boundaries we gravitate towards because they kind of tell us who we are where we fit, where we belong, and hopefully that we're included, that we're accepted, that we're, um, we're right or we're good or we're an insider. So in one sense, it's everywhere and we can't escape it. And to some degree, what we want in that sense of inclusion and identity and to be safe and to feel like I'm, I'm in or I belong is not a bad thing. It's just that boundary lines are a dangerous way to get that. Focusing on the boundary can be dangerous. Certainly, it seems when we think about churches or faith communities, because churches that are boundary-driven or environmentally driven like that, around where the line is, who's in, who's out, what are the standards, what's the list of behaviors, often tend to subtly or overtly produce judgmentalism and shame. Because now we're talking about who meets the criteria, who has the standard, who's in and who's not in. Um, we even talk about faith in the context of like crossing the line, like who's in now, but it can create this sense of, oh, you're not, or you don't belong, or who are the gatekeepers, or who are the boundary markers, who's standing there to decide who's in and who's out. And not just a sense of judgmentalism and critique, but even shame that can come on top of that or feel like, oh, I don't measure up, or I need to measure up, oh, I failed, or I might risk losing, and now I'm not included anymore, or now I'm, I was in the inside, but now I'm on the outside. 
and churches and religions even have practices of demarcating or those who were inside are now relegated to the outside and there's shame and guilt that comes with that. And so though we gravitate towards boundaries and we like them, they often tend to produce shame and judgmentalism and conflict. So much of the fighting between churches, between Christians, between denominations, or that we find in YouTube or church splits or whatever, are about arguing over where are the boundary. Oh, you guys think it's here. Well, I think it's here. Well, the Bible says this, but I believe it says this. Well, now we have to split. Now we have to divide. Now we're conflict and in conflict over it. And homes divide and churches divide and denominations divide. And the fight goes on on YouTube over the boundaries. Not just judgmentalism and shame, not just conflict, but maybe worst of all, a boundary-driven church or community can create uh, people who conform, but who are not transformed. Because the boundary itself, the whole point is to conform, meet the list of requirements, meet the standards, get in, belong, now you have conformed. And yet the whole definition of a boundary is that it doesn't move, it doesn't change. Once you're in, you're always in, or that's how it works. The point actually of a boundary is never to become, never to move, never to become transformed. And that's why you can have people who have been part of churches for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. And we go, oh yeah, that's Frank. He's always crotchety. Oh yeah, that's so-and-so. She always gossips. Or that's that girl. She's always like this. Or he's always like this. They, we don't actually expect people to change. They're just in and that's it. And that's maybe the most dangerous thing about a boundary-driven church or a boundary-driven community. They're dangerous. And yet, as a church, we actually have to talk about this. I mean, if you're new, you might be wondering, well, what kind of church are you? We can't help but ask the questions. Well, and there's even practices within the church, and it would seem like many things that Scripture teaches that we talk about every week that seem to say, these are the boundaries, these are the markers, these how you know, this is how you know who's in or who's out. And so we have to talk about what does that mean, and is that really true? We have to talk about it because we'd want to avoid the, the, some of the dangers of a boundary-driven community that seem to have marked the history of the church so much. We do not want to be a community of judgmentalism and shame. We do not want to be a community driven apart by conflict over the, where, where the boundary line does. And we want to be a community that isn't conformed to a standard, but actually transformed to become new people. And so we have to wrestle with this as a church. And we're doing this in the context of a series right now that we're calling This Is Us. Like, what does it mean to understand who we are and this vision statement that we have at the well called Deep Faith Wide Embrace? What does that mean that this is us? And what does that mean around boundaries? How do we think about it? Or as you're coming here to a church and you've been a part of this church for a while, or you've never been a part of a church before, or this is your first time in church, and you might have some of these questions or at least wonder, is, is where is the line? How do I know I'm in or included? We actually have to talk about what does it mean to be us? <laughs> And what does it mean about boundaries? Not even just where are the boundaries. What do we think about boundaries at all? For that, of course, we turn to Jesus. <laughs> and that's not just a cliche, oh yeah, we go to Jesus, right? But Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, in a sense, referred to him as the author or the pioneer of faith. In other words, the one who designed this whole thing. He's the pioneer, the trailblazer. He's the one who brought about faith in our lives. This whole thing is about him. Um, he's talked about as the head of the church, the one who oversees, who is above all, above every other person in the church. So when it comes to what is the church and how does this whole thing about boundaries work, we have to come to Jesus, the head of the church. He also described himself as the truth and the way. 
<laughs> and so we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, help us sort this out because it seems like boundary-driven communities are inevitably what we become, and yet they produce things we don't want and we don't think you ever meant to produce in us, judgmentalism, shame, conflict, and conformity without any transformation. So Jesus, help us. We're going to look at today just a short passage of an account of something Jesus did and a conversation that followed because of it. And in fact, the whole conversation actually is about boundaries, in which we can maybe see on one level, but there's so much more to it, just this short account. And so um, we're going to listen to it read, and then we're actually have some time to discuss it together. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whether you're familiar uh, with this passage uh, or not, maybe this is the first time you've heard it, I wanted to just kind of before we uh, march on and I share with you a little bit of my perspective on it, I would love to give you a few minutes just with the people you're with um, just to take some time to talk to each other What um, and just ask this question and we'll put the, the scripture back up on the screen there for you. What do you notice as you're reading this? Um, like what jumps out at you and what do you wonder? What questions come up for you? as you um, look at this passage of scripture. So it'll be on the screen there for you. Take a couple minutes with the people around you. What do you notice and what do you wonder?
All right, so I want to draw you back into uh, this conversation that we're having about this text. And it is one that's loaded with boundaries. Uh, but what's interesting about this is this is not just sort of an isolated event and conversation. In one sense, I, I, partly the reason I chose this passage is it's kind of, um, it, it's thematic. It recurs many times, many variations of this same type of conversation, a lot of the times around the boundary line. And so I want to just kind of unpack that in terms of what's happening here. So first of all, you have this group that is the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And it says, it, it describes them as a group. The Pharisees would have been people with what we would call a very tight and strict boundary line. The Pharisees were people that understood and subscribed to the law of Moses and the tradition of the elders. The law of Moses, the, the Ten Commandments and the law that was given to the people. And the tradition of the elders was the commands and around that that would have amounted, get this, to about 639 laws that the Jewish people had that were the boundary market. That's how you knew you were part of the covenant community. That's how you knew you were part of the people of God, to keep all of the laws. Now, 639 was a ton, so people were always breaking them. And there was all questions about interpreting them too. The Pharisees were people who ostensibly kept the whole law. They were the most observant of all of the people, and they had their own teachers of the law that worked with them to interpret it. So, for example, one of the laws of Moses was keep the Sabbath, keep it holy, don't do any work on it. Well, people are like, well, what's, what's work? That's, that's not enough of a boundary line. That's not very clear. That's a bit fuzzy. We need to define that more. What's work? Can you do this? Can you not do that? Can you cook? Can you get up? Can you, are you allowed to wrestle with your kids? Are you, what is work? And so the teachers of the law would say, well, this is work. You can't make mud and you can't carry your, your mat and you can't, you know, uh, you know, husk heads of grain and all the stuff that Jesus and his disciples were always doing on the Sabbath, by the way. But these are all the laws. They interpreted the laws for them to create this very clear, very strict, very tight boundary that almost nobody could keep, but they kept. And it allowed them to be and to believe that they were, because they were able to keep all of the laws of God and all of the ways that the teachers of the law had interpreted the law of God, they were the boundary keepers. And, you know, like they didn't just uh, keep the law, they kept the boundary. They were the ones that said, oh, you are righteous, you are unrighteous. You are in your, you can belong to this group, you can't. You are sort of outside of this. They were the boundary keepers. It was very tight. And... They believed that they were representing God as they told people where the boundary was because this is the law of God. We're close to God because to be close to God is to keep all of the laws. That's what makes you holy. That's what, and so therefore they were teachers of the law. They represented God to the people and therefore they were, the, they were the ones that said, oh, if you do this, you're close to God. If you do this, you're not close to God. And so this was the group, the Pharisees and teachers of the law specifically that was in this conversation with Jesus with a very strict, tight boundary. I have this other group here, which is called the tax collectors and sinners. Now, of course, this wasn't just describing uh, specific people by their behavior. It was a summary statement of, the, of a certain group of people. And you'll see this, this actually phrase, tax collectors and sinners, that it recurs multiple times in the biographies of Jesus because it wasn't just describing a tax collector or people who did such and such. It was a category of people. This group of people who were sinners was like a catch-all phrase for people who had no boundary. They not, only, they not only fell outside the strict boundary of the Pharisees, they did stuff that no self-respecting, God-fearing Jew would do, 
whether in their sexual life or the relationships they had or their marital status or how they handled money or what kind of food they ate or all the stuff. They didn't just break the tight, the tight boundary. There were people maybe who drew a wider boundary. These people had no boundary at all. And so they were called sinners, people outsiders, people not close to God, people rejected, people considered unclean, people who, who couldn't come in and worship God as they were, people who would not be considered models of faith that other people would say, oh, don't hang around them. Because if you hang around people like that, you are as unclean or as outside. If you go outside the boundary, right, to be with people who are outside the boundary, you're outside the boundary, just so you know, that's what it was like. And then the tax collectors, I mean, they had their own names for these guys because they weren't just sinners. They were political and ethnic traitors because they collected taxes for the empire against the Jewish people. So not only were they getting, um, where they were helping the empire that was oppressing their own Jewish people, they were political traitors, but they also were getting rich off the backs of their own poor people. The, the, people, of, uh, the, the, the people occupied by Rome were taxed 90 to 95%, and the tax collectors were Jewish people who would collect these oppressive taxes, skim off the top and become wealthy. So they were a kind of despicable sin. Like they didn't just do bad things. They didn't just break God's law. They were working against the people of God. This is a category of people so far outside who obviously are like, well, we have no boundary. This is what we think is right. This is how we live. We don't care what God thinks. We're just going to do what we want to do. And so they all hung out together because they're like, well, we're all outside. We might as well have fun together outside the boundary. This the second group of people. And see, the Pharisees were people who enforced these boundaries. Unless we think that they were like, oh, they're just so strict, they don't like those people. They, they were people who legitimately did harm to themselves and harm to other people, who legitimately broke God's laws, and in many ways were people that were not the kind of people you'd say, oh, these are, these are good people, these are people to hang around. And yet we know from the biographies of Jesus that Jesus continually criticized the Pharisees who were these boundary keepers who represented God for these same things because they were judgmental. It, it created a judgment. They judged others. They were harsh with others. Jesus said that they heaped burden and shame on others that actually just depressed them down, even though they were keepers of the boundary, keepers of the law. The way they did it actually produced shame and crushed and oppressed other people. We know actually even with, from this text, we know there was conflict between them. It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were from their sect, sectarianism. In other words, the teachers of the law didn't even agree with each other. So you had this group of Pharisees, but there was another group called the Sadducees. Sometimes you'll see them with Jesus. And they argued with the Pharisees because they fought between them. They didn't even agree on, they all have tight boundaries, but they didn't agree on where those boundaries were. So you had not only judgmental and shame, a lot of conflict between them. And a lot of conformity, but no transformation. In fact, one time Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says, you're like tombstones. You're nice and clean and neat on the outside. You meet the boundary, you conform, but underneath you're dead. <laughs> it was his way of saying, you conform to these rules, this law, but you have no transformation in you. You have not changed. You have not grown. You have not matured. And so here we have these two groups of people and the... the the problem was, the problem was Jesus, really, right? That's what the Pharisees and the teachers thought. It's like, why does your, why are you asking the disciples? How could your, how could Jesus eat with this group of people? Well, you may have heard me say this before, but maybe you're not familiar with this. What is this whole thing about eating and sharing a meal? Why was it such a big deal? Well, on multiple levels, I mean, in the ancient world, and even still some cultures today, to eat with someone is to show them acceptance, inclusion, friendship, and even kinship, like family. 
to share a meal with someone, to host them or to go into their house. It's like someone say, I accept you, you accept me. We are family, we are together. Not only that, to eat with someone was, was to share food, like literally share from the same loaf and share food habits and food laws and stuff. And so the Pharisees and religious teachers are so upset because here's Jesus. And Jesus is being called by the common people, hear you, rabbi, like a teacher, someone who taught the ways of God. They were calling him like a prophet because he was teach, not just teaching in powerful ways. He seemed to have a power and authority behind him that only their prophets had. He did miracles that only some of their prophets had done or even more than that. And so here's Jesus ostensibly representing God, someone who seemed close to God, who taught the ways of God, talked a lot about God, seemed to have an, an authorization or an authority from heaven. He called himself the, you know, the, the son of man, or he referred to God as my father in heaven. And yet, by eating with these people, he was basically saying to them, God accepts you. God welcomes you. God considers you part of his family. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law are saying, you can't say that. They are so far beyond the boundary. You're going out there. You're actually now contaminating yourself. You now are proving that you're not close to God. And of course, that was the conclusion they came to later in Jesus' life. But Jesus was doing all this and creating all kinds of problems for them because of basically what he was saying was, you're welcome. You're accepted. So why did Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's a good question. They're asking his disciples, hey, why do you guys eat with tax collectors and sinners? Look at what you're saying to them and to everyone else about them, about the boundary, about God. What was he saying about God's boundaries? You know, was, was God's boundaries strict and tight? Or maybe it was Jesus saying, no, no, Pharisees, teachers of the law, you guys have it here. I'm moving it here. Or was he saying, there is no boundary. Look, I'm spending time with People who have no boundary either, and I'm welcoming them. There's no boundary here. I'll eat with you. You're welcome in my home. I'm welcome in yours. That's what we're doing, isn't it? And so they had a question. Hey, what does Jesus think about this boundary thing? We have the same question, don't we, of Jesus? You know, there's some of us who are like, no, these are God's laws, and this is what it means, and if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be considered with Jesus, like, these are the things you have to do, the, either the behavior, or here's the prayer you have to pray, or here's what it means. We even talk about crossing the line of faith, going from an outsider to an insider. Isn't that what baptism is? Isn't that what communion is? Isn't that, like, how we live our lives? There's some of us who are like, no, this boundary is strict. It's very clearly defined. This is what it means to be in. This is how I know I'm in. This is how I know that person's not in. This is what it means to stay in. And maybe some of us are like, no, no, like that's, that's religion. Jesus has a wider boundary. Like he doesn't worry about what clothes you wear to church. And he, he doesn't worry about what food you eat. And, you know, you, you, can, um, you can be this kind of person or do these things. These, and like that, the, the, in the past, the church said, you know, you can't smoke or you can't go to the movies or you can't dance. And like, Jesus is not like that. He draws a boundary wider, right? Some of us would, would say that. And then there's some of us that say, oh, I don't think Jesus has any boundaries. Jesus is just love. Like, look at even this passage. Look, he just includes everyone. He invites everyone. He didn't have any boundaries. The church shouldn't have these boundaries. Say, no, you can't come to Jesus because of this or that. And so we want to know, Jesus, where do you draw the line? What are your boundaries? We have the same questions. I think the problem is, and the problem that was going on in here is with the idea of boundaries all together. Like, let's face the fact, friends. The church, by and large, either in practice, in actual fact, or at least in reputation, has been a community of judgmentalism and shame. 
There are many of us who walked away from church or never even approached church. Maybe this is your first time in a long time or your first time ever because you're like, I think I'm just going to get judged. That's what people have told me, actually. Friends of mine are like, I don't want to come to church. I get judged. Or I don't go to church very often because when I do, I feel judged. This is the dominant experience people have had with many communities of faith, not just the church, but let's say for our purposes, with Christian faith. Judgmentalism, people being on the outside or pushed away, or shame. We don't measure up. So many of us have felt shame from religious leaders or pastors or just people, or we were in and then we did some things and now suddenly we weren't in and we were pushed to the margins. We were either actively sort of sometimes kicked out, excommunicated, whatever it is, or just subtly ignored and pushed away and the judgmentalism and shame that came with that. We have to face the fact that the church has been a place of conflict. There's so much arguing within churches, between churches, between Christians, on social media about this. And we have to face the fact that in many ways, in terms of actual life transformation, we don't even expect that. We just expect crotchety person will always be crotchety person. Gossipy person will always be gossipy person. Stingy person will always be stingy person. Emotionally unhealthy and sort of chaotic person will always be that way. Broken marriage will always be broken marriage. We don't assume or expect transformation. And yet, we should legitimately ask, well, do you just get rid of the boundary altogether? No boundaries then? Because it doesn't seem to produce anything good? Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus just accepts everyone? No boundary? We have a fear of what that means. In fact, we live in a culture that says, hey, the church has done all this stuff. There shouldn't be any boundary. In fact, nobody should have any boundary. Not the state and not this religion or that religion or family. Nobody has the right to tell you what to do. You be your own person. Live your own truth, right? Get rid of all boundaries. And the hope is if we do that, it'll get rid of judgmentalism, shame, conflict. <laughs> but does it? I mean, in many ways, the media and social media has just taken the place of the church or institutions and the world is no less conflicted, no less judgmental-oriented, no less critical, and no less full of shame, right? You can get rid of the boundary, but you're not going to get rid of human behavior. Because what happens is if there is no boundary and everybody can live however they want, well, then I have the right to tell you what I think about. And maybe it's not the church telling other people what they think about. We just do that with each other. Social media gives everybody a weapon, everybody the ability to be critical of other people or critical of someone who will criticize you. Or don't say anything about my, the way I've chosen to live because I can. And just shame, criticism, and conflict abound. Getting rid of the boundary doesn't get rid of that. Not only that, getting rid of the boundary gets rid of any possibility of actually becoming new people. We don't solve the transformation problem either, because if there is no boundary, everything's fuzzy. You can just be who you are, and you never have to change. And you can say, well, I want people to just accept me the way I am. I don't need to change. And yet everybody else quietly around you go, ah, oh, they kind of do. Ah, oh, we kind of hope they would. You can say, I don't need to change, but I bet your spouse wishes you would. I bet your child wishes you would. I bet your colleague wishes you would. I bet your best friend wishes in some ways you would change. So we all need to. Getting rid of the boundary doesn't solve that. So what was Jesus doing? What was the two things he said? The two things Jesus says in this passage. In many ways, Jesus was redirecting away from the boundaries, directing them towards himself, right? Jesus, instead of talking about the boundary, he was directing them to the center. What does he say to Matthew, the tax collector, at the beginning of this whole story? follow me. Follow me. What does Matthew do? He leaves his tax collector uh, booth. He leaves his lifestyle as a tax collector and begins to follow Jesus. Why is this so significant that Jesus was not focusing on the boundary but turning the attention to himself at the center? 
I've read this quote for you a couple times before, but it's become so helpful for me in my own life. This is actually written by a couple of authors and people who are um, researchers and study human behavior and communities. And in talking about this whole boundary versus center idea, here's what they say. This is Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. In some farming communities, the farmers might build fences around their properties to keep their livestock in and the livestock of neighboring farms out. But in rural communities where farms or ranches cover an enormous geographic area, fencing the property is out of the question. In our home of Australia, ranches, called stations, are so vast that fences are superfluous. They don't do anything. Under these conditions, a farmer has to sink a bore and create a well, a precious water supply in the outback. It is assumed that livestock, though they will stray, will never roam too far from the well lest they die. As long as there is a supply of clean water, the livestock will remain close by. I mean, it shouldn't be lost on us that in a sort of a desert culture that Jesus lived in, <laughs> he described himself and what he offered as living water. Water that would never run dry. Water that would quench our thirsty souls. An endless supply of water. Jesus focused the attention of his people, including the religious leaders, away from the boundary and towards the center himself, the well, living water at the center. It is what made us call ourselves the well so that we would continually be reminded that the kind of community we want to be, the kind of community Jesus invites us to be is not a community focused on fences and boundaries and who's in and who's out for all the reasons I've just said, but focused on Jesus at the center continually moving towards him. And here's why. Because of the second thing Jesus says. He says, I have invited people to repentance. Repentance. He didn't just say to Matthew, follow me. He said, I am inviting you to repent, which means to change your mind, to change direction, to move towards me, right? By nature, the boundary has no movement in it. If we focus on the boundary, this is what it is. It never changes. The standard has to change the same because everybody has to know whether they're in or out. So the focus on the boundary never moves. All your goal is, is to cross the line, is to get in. And after that, nothing needs to change. But Jesus says, forget the boundary. Look at the well. I am inviting you to follow me to repent. In other words, to move, to continually change your mind and direction and move towards me. This is the whole idea of the well at the center. Everyone is in the same boat. There's no insiders or outsiders. There's just a whole bunch of thirsty people. <laughs> and Jesus is inviting all of us, each one, just like he was doing here, inviting the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the tax collectors, the sinners, his disciples, everyone he met, follow me, come to me, living water, move towards me. To repent is to change your direction. You're going the wrong way. You're looking for satisfaction, things that can never satisfy. Turn to me, come to me, move towards me. Move away from a boundary-centered life. Move to a centered life around Jesus. It's a rescue from becoming judgmental and shame-filled or shame-based people. A rescue from the conflict over where the boundary is. A rescue from conformity without any transformation. Jesus says, come to me. 
but we're afraid to get rid of it, right? We think, well, what, what, does that mean there's no, it doesn't matter what you do? Anybody can do anything? Is that, what, is, is that just basically what the culture is? Now the church becomes that way? <laughs> no, make no mistake, right? When Jesus invites us to follow him at the well, we need to know all are invited. You are accepted just as you are, but if you come to Jesus, you're never going to be the same. You are loved and accepted exactly as you are. But Jesus loves you too much to leave you as you are. There are no insiders and outsiders. Everybody is invited to move towards Jesus. You are invited as you are, but make no mistake, Jesus is going to change you. You will change. What does this look like in our lives if we become a community and a people who start to think about Jesus at the center and less about the boundary? Well, think about it. Let's think about it as a community, as it relates to the issue of human sexuality. Man, human sexuality is probably the most prevalent conversation of our culture in our time right now. It's everywhere. And the church traditionally has had a boundary-driven approach to this. Well, these are the people or these are the behaviors that qualify you or disqualify you. These people are in. They're close to God. They belong to Jesus. These people who practice this or think this way or um, have that, they, they are the outsiders. That's where the church is saying, well, how do we have to decide? And look it, make no mistake, the writers of the New Testament, the writers of the Old Testament, and Jesus himself have a lot to say about human sexuality. There's so much about human sexuality in this book that describes sexuality as beautiful and powerful and that it's possible to do a lot of damage to yourself and to others in your sexual life. That sexuality, as beautiful as it is, as powerful as it is, can be easily misused and abused. So make no mistake, the scriptures and Jesus himself have a lot to say about human sexuality. But when the church makes the boundary line, this is what it is, this is what it means, instead of Jesus at the center, in our conversations, in our posture, what it does is actually create judgmentalism and shame. It creates conflict and no conformity. Because what it says is, oh, those people outside, they're the ones who need to change. I'm fine. There's nothing about my sexuality that's broken or wrong or that Jesus might want to talk to me about. It's just those people. But when we take the issue of human sexuality and say, forget the boundary, Jesus is inviting us to come to the well. Jesus is inviting every single person to come and surrender their sexuality to him. Whether you are single or dating or engaged or married or separated or divorced, whether you're 16 or 26 or 76, every one of us has things about our expression of our human sexuality that is good and beautiful and stuff that's broken. And Jesus wants to heal and change all of us. When we focus on the boundary, it's those people that need healing and help and those people that need to change, but I'm fine. <laughs> when we focus on the well, Jesus says, all of y'all need to come. I have lots to talk to you about in your life, how you act, how you think about yourself as a sexual being. Everyone is invited to come to Jesus and be changed. And what about in your individual life? Let's make it personal. Maybe in a relationship with a friend or a spouse or a parent or a son or a daughter or someone in the church where you think that they're behaving badly, where they are crossing the line or where they're outside the boundary or where they're failing to live up to what they said they would do or what you think the list is expected of them as a Christian, as a, a spouse, as a child, as a parent, as a friend. 
to focus on the boundaries, to say, well, I'm right and you're, you're wrong and here's where you failed and to create conflict and often to create judgmentalism and shame and to make it much easier to see what they're doing wrong and where they've failed than really what we have failed and to in the end heap shame on them or ourselves and to not move <laughs> in the sense. But if we focus on the well, we ask ourselves, what is Jesus inviting me to do? He says to me and to you, in that relationship, in that conflict, in that difficulty, what does it mean for you to follow me right now? What does it mean for you to come to me? I accept you as you are, but I'm not leaving you as you are. So what is it about this that Jesus wants to use to change me? Friends, when we start to ask that question, it changes everything about how we see the world, how we see the conflicts, how we see the people in our lives. And so here's my encouragement to you. For some of you, you just need to hear the words that Jesus said to Matthew the very first time. Follow me. Maybe you've never made a decision to actually repent and turn around and change and move towards Jesus. Say, okay, Jesus, I realize. I agree. I need you. There was something in Matthew, obviously, that made him know he's the one. I need to follow him for the rest of my life. And when it says he left his tax collector booth, it wasn't about, oh, he left his job. He changed his life. He changed his mind. He began to follow Jesus. For some of you, that's the decision you need to make. You can decide to follow him. And if you want to do that, we'd love to speak with you and talk to me or one of our site pastors. Say, how do I do that? And where do I go now? But perhaps there are many of us who, if you did say that, let me ask you this. Are you closer to him now than you were last year? Just one year ago, or six months ago? Are you closer to him now than you were a year ago? Because the whole point, friends, is movement. Continuing to follow, continuing to move towards living water, continuing to move towards Jesus. If you have, if you are closer to him now than you were a year ago, amazing. Whatever you did, keep doing it, right? Whatever those things that are, you're doing in your life that helped you stay closer to him, that help you see him more, that help you be satisfied in him more, that help you change, do more. And if you haven't, what step can you take to move closer to him? You know, it's interesting in this passage, right? The whole conversation is about Jesus eating with a group of people. Others on the outside crossing their hands and saying, well, I don't know why Jesus is doing that. <laughs> they were, in a sense, outsiders away from relationship with him. Jesus was eating in relationship with the people he was inviting to follow him. And so ultimately, this is an invitation to a closer relationship with Jesus. And so I want to invite you to just put that truth into words as we sing this song about moving closer to him.